0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years' experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Longshots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I 270 and MD85 in Frederick, right next to Longshots off track betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and you Your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
1: It is time for a brand new episode of your favorite new podcast, The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. This is episode 11, The Women in Rock and Roll. I'm one of your hosts, Marcus in the Darkest, and with me is my co-host, Ray
2: Coop, good to be with you as we uh, delve into the ladies and how we got to where we are today, kind of, when it comes to women in rock and roll and women in pop music,
1: too. Oh, absolutely. And... The influence and the importance of women in this business is gargantuan. They, a lot of times, are the unsung heroes of rock and roll because of the fact that it's been so dominated by men over the decades. But a little over a century, we've had a lot of major players in the women we have think about
2: it over oh, time and uh, we're going to delve into the early ones I'm, today hold on a second hold on a second because I, I thought you were going to just dive right in there no. so. well you can start from the current times and work your way back and you're going to find connections all the way back uh, through the last century plus but i know that one woman who's near and dear to your heart has uh, she's been on a lot of people's minds and her influence has been more visible let's just say that it's than it's been felt in a while
1: oh, i'm talking about sister rosetta Tharpe.
2: i know how much you love her. Uh, huge
1: fan huge fan of sister rosetta tharp i found her accidentally on a youtube video and really started liking her music and was blown away by it the gospel music's amazing i'm not much of a religious person but the way she feels it yeah. it really touches your soul in a in a what? way that music Nobody. should touch
2: your soul I think a lot of rock and rollers, especially the 50s rock and rollers, came from church singing. Some of them Pentecostal, some of them Baptist preachers, sons, things like that. A Little Richard jumps to mind, but Rosetta Tharp, yeah, definitely somebody and her persona continues to influence people up to today including uh we were talking about it when we were putting this together britney howard from alabama shakes man you put those two side by side they have the same feel to their playing and to their voice and their oh uh, oh yeah and, but... you know and just amazing women and then rosetta wasn't exactly religious herself was she is according to the well, quote unquote good book well she was religious
1: and her religious faith sort of was always in the back of her mind but she was bisexual which was a big no no oh, at that time a big that, taboo you had to hide that back then and she didn't hide it as much as she should have there was a female musician i can't remember her name that used to play keyboards and travel with her that was supposedly her female partner
2: uh-huh
1: and she also left the gospel for a little while and did sort of that I don't know, soulish R&B sound that turned off many of her religious followers, but she did stuff with uh, Lucky Millinder and his orchestra and songs like Tall Skinny Papa, which were totally sexual songs. And
2: Well, there was a lot of conflict like that yeah. in society because people were sexual and they wanted to perform and sing about it, and most quote-unquote polite society said, no, no, I don't want to hear about that.
1: They had to come up with clever ways to sing about the sexuality and... To how it worked It was interesting to see her career Reading up about it, how it evolved And how she went into the Soul and R&B for a while, and then After a few years of conflicting With herself, went back to the Gospel roots, by that time she had lost Most of her gospel following, and Gospel music was dying out in radio Popularity, except on very low-end AM stations that Didn't have big signals, they weren't Getting a lot of gospel play in the 60s And... So she was trying to reinvent herself, got diabetes, her mom passed away, she lost her leg, did a few final performances, wow. and died in Philadelphia in the 70s. Wow. I,
2: well, I knew the yeah. last part, but not all the other parts in between and, there towards the end.
1: And she was even married at a stadium, Griffith Stadium, which was the Washington, D.C. stadium yeah, at the time. Home, home she of the had senators. a public marriage where she sold tickets to it and people bought her gifts. Wow. And for a black woman to be able to do that in a stadium at that time in the 50s, like 57, was Un- unheard Unheard of. And she performed for him as well.
2: I'm sure she did.
1: And when, when they found her body, she actually had a list of songs written down on her next to her bed, the songs that she was going to perform in the studio. And this was like 71, 72, 73. It was I think it says 70s. 73 on yeah. my notes. Yeah, yeah. So it was early 70s. And
2: she she was a large figure that not a lot of people knew about until more recent times, even though her influence was large. But look at yeah. some of the other women, again, who weren't necessarily in the pocket on rock and roll who had an influence. We talked about Billie Holiday and how what she did in the uh, musical jazz standards oh, yeah. idiom, she, but she stood up for women to be a voice, to be her heard to be themselves and to be who they were her drug use aside but she was also a very strong woman you're a big fan of or become a big fan of uh, somebody who had an influence in those days uh, lori collins and her brother tell yeah. me about the collins kids
1: i first heard about them from the reverend horton Heat when i had done an interview with him and he's like, if you like rockabilly and you like some of the older rockabilly, you need to check out the Collins kids.
2: I, I I still haven't. I got to.
1: And what they did as kids was unbelievable. Like they were way ahead of the spectrum as far as the learning curve goes with music and rock and roll at that mm-hmm. time. And she could sing. Great voice. Just a great style about her. And it just it was rockabilly. And it even had sort of a punk rockness to it.
2: Now the mermaid of rockabilly, who I don't know that much about. I didn't even know that was her name. Yeah. Ronda Jackson, it. I don't know that much about her, and she was an influence on people who would come down the line. Like Big Mama Thornton, she became known as the new Bessie Smith because Bessie Smith looms large. We're going to get to her. We're yeah. going to circle back there. You- Really made to the original Ball and Chain, which inspired Janice to sing. That's like a direct connection musically. Talk about Etta James, who could have been in my five favorites when we're talking about American singers of the 60s, who had a career that spanned from the 50s into the 60s and beyond. Had a couple different comebacks. Overcame drugs. Overcame the world treating her like dirt. She found her spot, her happy place at Chess Records. And it's referenced in the movie Cadillac Records, where she doesn't come off as that happy. But she found her way and continue to perform and finally be appreciated as the influence that she was on strong women. You got Laverne Baker, who I don't know that much about. But I know she did the original Jim Dandy, which I know about because of Black Oak, Arkansas, in the 70s version. These women. And one of your favorites,
1: Nina. I love Nina. Another Philadelphia tie. But the smoothness, the sultriness, and the fact that she was able to be a strong woman and do it forcefully was amazing. And her music still resonates hard with me. I've only been listening to it for a few years. But when I write, her music is one of the ones that I have to listen to when I write. Because all the formats of music, while there's a lot of freedom in the blues and there's a lot of freedom in the rock and roll and the soul, nothing is as free as jazz. Oh, there is yeah. no form of music that is free as jazz, and I need that freedom to clear my head when I write.
2: Now that we've clarified how he overcomes writer's yeah. block, but no, but and, and she's just, uh, just a... Mm-hmm. beautiful soul who who did a lot of good in the world oh, as well and of course the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame finally getting their shit together on Nina Simone yeah, finally now I, I want to circle back because before there was you know the women we've been talking about you got to go back to the uh, 1800s to find Ma Rainey who is considered to be probably the mother of the blues by mm-hmm. a lot of people she uh, did a, a recorded version of the C.C. Ryder blues that's if not the first one mm-hmm. of the first and she evolved from the culture you know songs that they remembered and sang back to each other and that's how it started and she ended up doing all kinds of things, and performing and recording with Louis Armstrong and she had a, a really big career on the circuit, which was pre-Chitlin circuit. She was on the circuit and while she was on that circuit that's when she and Bessie Smith crossed paths.
1: All I could say Did about... Did people go to those shows at all or were they for the all for the
2: African American
1: crowd? Or would there it be was... like a few label people here and there scattered mm, in?
2: Probably label uh, Label talent scouts uh, and, and things like that, but I it's it's so hard for my brain to. Uh, to try to figure out exactly where we were. We were so segregated. We were so prejudiced. We were Mm -hmm. so... it just divided in that regard. I don't know. I guess there were always people who said, I don't care. I love the music. And by the way, the food's pretty good too. I'm going to go to the roadhouse and Mm -hmm. I'm going to see what I see and hear what I hear. Back when we're talking about, like with Ma Rainey in the Mm -hmm. 20s and the 30s and Bessie Smith, it wasn't too widely practiced, I don't think. Check this out. Here's the connection to Ma Rainey and Bessie Smith. Her brother and her would sing and play, dance together in, when they grew up in Chattanooga, and he took off to join one of those traveling troops. She wasn't happy about it, and he knew that she would want to go, but she was too young. But he came back around, her brother Clarence, uh, Bessie Smith's brother Clarence, she joined up in a uh, traveling troupe, but she was hired as a dancer. I don't know how much of Bessie Smith's music you've heard, but she was hired as a dancer because they already had a singer who was pretty well known. Her name was Ma Rainey. And from that association, either young Bessie learned about performing or how to give her all the way that she ended up doing I mean she wasn't called the Empress of the Blues for nothing and what she did was take those things that she learned in that troupe to another level she recorded for Columbia Records. I have a double album compilation of Bessie Smith's music that would just give you the entire thing in like one listen. She was also bisexual, and it didn't fly with her husband. Even earlier than Sister Rosetta thought. Yeah, so she was there on the front end of that, and she ended up, are you ready for this, in a long-term committed relationship after her divorce with an old friend named Richard Morgan, who was Lionel Hampton's uncle. What? and they stayed together until her death. Now, a lot of people say that she didn't really learn everything and how to sing and all that from Ma Rainey, but she sure learned a lot about performing, I suspect. She had one of those performers who the Depression kind of cut into their career, and um, she tried to get involved in film as vaudeville came to an end. She did some stuff on Broadway, uh, appeared in a show called Pansy. It was a flop. The critics said she was the only asset in the whole thing. She was uh, W.C. Handy's uh, movie St. Louis Blues. She's... just an amazing person who tried to reinvent herself time and time again, including a run-in after she was uh, pretty much out of it. She uh, ran into John Hammond, who later would sign Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen to Columbia Records, and he asked her to record some sides for OK, which was OKEH, was the new label that Columbia had just acquired. Guess where he found her? Working as a hostess at a speakeasy on Ridge Avenue in Philadelphia.
1: Like Ridge Avenue? Right, in our city
2: yeah. where we live. That's right. Yeah, well, New yeah. yeah. Well, no, all the way down in the yeah. city probably. part down closer to Callow Hill in that neighborhood. Yeah. I guess it was a speakeasy spot. And that's where Whoa. they found her. She worked at Arts Cafe on Ridge Avenue. I'll have to find out where that was. Yeah. And she did some sides and was still touring and, you know, had a huge influence on generations of women who learned to sing from deep down inside, from where it means something. Mm -hmm. Also, Alberta Hunter is an interesting character. In the early days, started her singing career in a bordello and moved on to clubs and uh, learned uh, to mix. And she started to play in clubs that appealed to black and white people alike and started to cross over a little bit. And, you know, she was more of a jazz singer, but she was... Was a strong woman who could stand up in a brothel and sing her songs in saloons and clubs and bars. And in that way, she was an influence as far as a strong woman goes. But she also decided after things started to die down and things weren't going so well, she retired. She decided that um, she would become a nurse. So she went to nursing school, got it, finished her high school diploma, got a nursing's degree, and did that for years until somebody came across her when she was 70 years old and uh, Uh, maybe older they're not really sure but then uh, she had the return of some a couple albums in the 60s and uh, became kind of the toast of Greenwich Village uh, dying in New York in October of 84 so what an interesting lady in her time but you know living her own way and leaving it and then coming back to it crazy
1: right? And the fact that she was able to make enough money to be able to save up put away and be able to go to nursing school school is really awesome that she was paid enough by the labels to be able to do it and she was able to manage her money in such a way where she wasn't grifted. I guess she figured,
2: you know, let, I gotta get on with life, so here, let me do this, and it's a good career I can do for the rest of my life. Let's not forget, though, the great Memphis Minnie, who uh, was quite a player in a, of her own uh, accord. She's credited with writing the basis for what became When the Levee Breaks, of course uh, co-opted by Zeppelin and Jefferson Airplane. some of her songs. Married to a blues man, Kansas Joe McCoy, she played with Big Bill Bruinsy, Sunnyland Slim, and Langston Hughes, the poet, was a fan of hers. Cool.
1: Yeah, I just listen to her version of When the Levee Breaks and was blown away by it. Just unbelievable.
2: It really is. Like, seriously, it's taunting. It's all broken down. Like, it's just the scratch of the recording device, her voice, and the guitar. And it tells the tale. Yeah, but it's raw. It's so raw. So that's how we got to the modern era. You know, all these amazing, strong, powerful women who weren't afraid to be who they were, who they are. And then you get into rock and roll in the 60s and you've got women like Aretha Franklin, who's as strong as they came, built on gospel, nurtured and fueled by soul. And she did her thing, which we talked quite a bit about on our five favorites as our mutual number one female singer from America in the 60s. But there were other voices in the 60s that we haven't yet talked about much. And, you know, you got to look to the San Francisco scene to find two of them, at least two of them. Well, first, let's look at Grace Wing also known as Grace Slick, right? She gets into the San Francisco scene. She was born in the Chicago area. Eventually, she's there in San Fran, and she forms a band with her husband, Jerry Slick. And they write this little song called White Rabbit, and it was kind of her calling card. She went to see the Jefferson Airplane perform at the Matrix. She got their thing. They got her. And then Cygnia Anderson had to leave when she, well, she didn't have to, but she decided to leave when she had her baby. And uh, Grace slid right in there and took over the controls of the airplane for a number of years, flying with the Starship and all and then our favorite from Texas our oh, favorite Texas girl yep
1: The toughest of them all Janice Joplin between her and Aretha they're the top two voices probably in the 60s and that's not a knock on anybody else but The influence and the quality of their voices and the music together definitely earned them that.
2: They took the freedom and opportunity provided by those who came before them and then turned it into a, an even more powerful force. And Janice always said that she was very heavily influenced by Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey and Lead Belly, uh, heady leadbetter, who mm-hmm. was uh, a male singer, so he had some power too. Lead Belly could let it fly. So so she gets out of Port Arthur, Texas after attempts to be normal, fail, and she uh, hitchhikes to San Francisco with Chet Helms, who would be part of the whole Haight-Asbury scene as it unfolded, did some blues recordings with Yorma Kalkinen, who would be in the airplane in another year or so, and And uh, due to some issues she had, she doubled back to Port Arthur for a while before coming back and being rediscovered, or I guess in her case really being discovered, as Janis Joplin with Big Brother and all that stuff.
1: Have you heard the original version of White Rabbit before Jefferson Airplane did it? And how different is it?
2: I don't remember it. I know I think I heard it once. Somebody had a copy of their album and I heard it, and and I didn't really remember it. But the only thing I would say is it probably sounded pretty similar. But I don't know. I wasn't around back then in the swinging 60s, you know, out there in the hate, man. Again, we
1: talked about the British invasion, but look at this Hate ashbury scene between the women and how they're all interspersed as well. That Hate ashbury scene and the ties and connections with them. You have Santana
2: and Journey are in that, too. You got to look at the other women that were in that scene and who were influenced by that scene, the San Francisco thing. Mm -hmm. The fact that two of the main voices were powerful women, you know, and they were also open to a, a kid who was born in Mexico and moved to San Francisco. Francisco with his family and took up the guitar you know they were open to everything yes it's almost like Bessie Smith should have moved and uh, Rosetta Tharp should have moved to San Francisco back in their day because Mm -hmm. it was way more open than wherever the hell they were Rosetta was in Chicago for a while she
1: lived in the deep south Philadelphia but she was mostly on the road as a touring musician
2: well I think a lot of them are and a lot of the women we're talking about the ones that are still with us that's true of uh, Joan Baez I would say that she's rock and roll by association she Mm -hmm. stood a shoulder to shoulder with the men as the folk movement became the folk rock movement in the 60s. Always a strong voice for women and for what is right and has stood uh, alongside all the right causes her whole life in the tradition of the Weavers and Pete Seeger and those guys. She's pretty
1: amazing. Yeah, I, I first heard
2: of uh, Joan Baez and a
1: few of them through the uh, and Pete Seeger and all them through my dad's love of the folk music sure. and the stories of folk and that's why he
2: liked it. What other ladies do we have?
1: We have uh, one lady who sort of into the 70s meekly but was a huge influence and you know much more about her
2: than I do this is my friend Joni Mitchell let's talk about Joni Mitchell she started in the 60s but really flourished as an artist in the 70s she started you know you know she started out as like a duet folk singer with her husband Chuck Mitchell she was raised Joan Anderson she was always an artsy kid she when she told Chuck to shove off basically she was launching herself in the direction she needed to go to become Joni the artist. Music, her physical art is beautiful, breathtaking Her paintings and whatnot. And she really was still in her folk mode in the 60s. And we're going to kind of draw a line around 1970 or so and then do another episode where we talk about women in rock and roll in the 70s, which is really where women became totally empowered. And Joni was part of getting there and she's part of that whole episode as well. I know that in our five favorites you mentioned a couple mamas that you thought were huge influences on uh, women in rock and roll. The Mamas, Cass Elliott, and Michelle
1: Phillips. Think about the music, not only that they put together, but they had to have an influence on bands like Fleetwood Mac because of what Stevie Nicks and Christine McVie did. They had to have an influence on some of the other 70s bands that followed because of what they did with the harmonies. And while John Phillips were there, the women were the strength of that band.
2: Well, the other thing that they achieved for women in that band was they put women first. They were the mamas and the papas, not the papas and the mamas. And the fact that Michelle and Cass were both different kind of people, both in their approach, their singing style, and the way that they looked and carried themselves. They were completely cool with themselves. They were part of the scene as well as part of the mamas and the papas. And and they did a lot to create that vibe that women were part of things too, not just, you know, an attachment on your arm. And it it really went a long way. And, you know, we're talking about steps, you know, that people take, different things that happen in different steps. You can't forget a couple of the most important girl groups of the 60s. In fact, the Shirelles, who I know you adore, were credited with being the first girl group because they started, maybe because they started before everybody else. All the girl groups that came in the 60s, a lot of kind of like respond off the success of groups like the Shirelles and the Ronettes too with Ronnie Spector. They didn't have that long of a run, but they had incredible hit stuff with Phil Spector produced and uh, got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, about 12 years ago in 2007. By the way, when they stopped performing together, the Ronettes, Ronnie went on to do all kinds of stuff. They never performed together again until they got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame like all those years later. I wonder why they waited to do that. Know. That doesn't make sense. Was there bad blood? Was there legal issues? Could have been any number of those things, but you used to see a lot more of it. People would just be, I'm done with this, and walk away, and you saw it in a couple phases of the Temptations, and we'll talk about that stuff. Uh, maybe we should just do it temptations issue where we they could t- break down everybody who was in there but you'd see the group carrying on sometimes or sometimes the whole thing would fold if somebody left or if the the, the, the main person or two left so yeah. you know but that's kind of what happened with the ronettes but you know the Shirelles they were also part of what was going on they were aware of what was going on and they also understood what their role was for as, as young women who were influencing others which is i think one of their biggest accomplishments
1: absolutely soldier boy we sang in the 70s in music
2: class man and 1962 that's how I know that it came out. I was a wee lad then, so I know they were. it was a throwback when you did that in school. You know, I, I just think that um, as far as women came in the first 60, 70 years of the 1900s, so much has accelerated in the music business and in rock and roll where we no longer stop up and say, oh, it's a girl record or it's sung by a guy or, you know, people tend to just listen with their hearts and their heads and their ears and decide if it's a record they want to hear. And if it is, they put it on again. So we're going to probably need a couple follow up episodes here my friend oh yeah we're gonna definitely have
1: to subset all these uh women in rock and roll because of their specific influences and their specific work and specific genres and jumping into the 70s is going to be a blast because some of the names that we're going to throw out
2: hey we're feeling you out there but we want to hear from you too uh, reach out to our gmail account History at gmail.com or find us on facebook it's imbalance history of rock and roll and there's always room for you to comment after we post an episode on there we'll put it on there so you know it's out. And don't forget to subscribe on your phones through iTunes or Google Play.
1: The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, your favorite new podcast.
2: It's a production of Dark Knock Media.
1: I'm your host, Marcus in the Darkest.
2: I'm Ray Koob, and we'll catch you next time on The Imbalanced History
1: of Rock and Roll.